Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental enthusiasts, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, Laura and I discuss writing your resume. We talk to Anthony Wilson about establishing early career success, equitable opportunities, and finding confidence. And finally, it is impossible to tickle yourself. What? Scientists, yes, it's totally true. Scientists at the University College of London pinpointed the cerebellum as part of the brain that prevents us from doing this. Cerebellum is what allows us to distinguish between expected sensations and unexpected ones. So that's why you can't tickle yourself. There you go. Hit that music. Registration is now open for NAAP's 2022 Annual Conference and Training Symposium in person, May 16th to May 19th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Brenda Mallory, the chair of the Council on Environmental Quality, CEQ, will be delivering a keynote address, and we are super excited to hear from her. It's going to be great. Check it out at www.naep.org. We appreciate all of our sponsors, and they are what keep the show going. If you'd like to sponsor the show, please head over to www.environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out the sponsor forum for details. Let's get to our segment. You look at resumes and you look at a lot of resumes, you start to see some patterns about good ones. And a lot of those are, first of all, making everything really legible, easy to read, easy to find. You know, it's like the stuff that I actually care about. Like I'm going to skip past that first part every single time because nobody puts anything interesting there. I don't care <laughs> what your objective is because it's always the same. I would love to have a position at this. I honestly don't know why that's in resumes. It just, to me, wastes waste space. I'm like, I'm not reading that. I barely care about your education. I do care, but it's not the first thing I'm going to look at. I want to know what you actually do. I want to know how you organized your skills. And that's what's important to me. So our, you know, depending on what the job is, you have to look at those characteristics. Did you read my job description and put anything in your resume that matches that? Because that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people, it's, it's astonishing. Some people would just send the same resume for no matter what the application is. They're just like, well, this is my resume. I'm like, no, this is your resume for this job. So you better tailor it to that job. It's amazing. It's like, you know, like, you won't see that. Yeah. Yes, and. So I'm taking the improv class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, and. You're validating everything I teach people in career coaching because I try to tell people unless you're just uber just out of school don't write an objective write a summary because that's what that is supposed to do supposed to tell you Nick here's a summary of what you're about to read and I always tell them that third line should be like three lines you know summary of who, who you are how long you've worked what you're bringing to the table and then how you align with their mission three things right at the top. Yeah. So that right there tells them, I read your your application. I'm talking about your mission. I looked at your website. Now keep reading. So that's how I tell right. people to write their resume. Each yeah. section has to make the reader keep reading to the next section. Yes. Right under that, I want to see your skills, bullet points. And then underneath that, I want to see how did you get those skills mm-hmm. in your experience? And then I'm going to keep reading. The objective is really just for someone who hasn't got anything and I still try to tell them your objective isn't about you. It's about how you help the mission of the company. Because exactly. getting a job and saying, I want your company to pay me to learn to do what I want to do right. is not very effective. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. Then it's very self-serving. And, you're, and you know, we work with a team of people. And if, you are, if your resume comes across as selfish, it's not a good, not a good look. It really isn't. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, there's a lot of old school resume advice out there online mm-hmm. telling people to write an objective and 
it's a new world yeah. in the last couple of years. And it's not about you and your, your career. It's about the company and what you bring to the table. And so it's just a little bit different. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like they say, so many, when you start looking at hundreds of resumes, so many of them look the same and, you know, people tell you to stand out and there's a balance between standing out and being like, wow, what a great crafts project you put together, which it is, it's too much, right? Like there's just kind of like a level of like, I wish you'd spent more detail on the information and how it looks. There's, there is a balance there because if it looks really cool, like, oh, wow, what a crazy looking resume and real irrelevant, right? Then it doesn't matter how it looks. You know, there is something to be said for standing out, but there's also something to you, know, you really do need content because it may be, maybe standing out will be like, oh, that's so funny. But like, that's about, about all it'll get you if there's nothing else in there. Yeah. You want to stand out by appearing organized, appearing helpful. Like you want your, how, how am I as a person going to translate to how I am on the job, which is mm-hmm. organized spell checker, <laughs> grammatic, yeah. you know, like making sure that everything is formatted correctly having a great and unique design. Yeah. That might catch someone's eye for a minute, but I always tell people, cause there always, you know, some people will say, well, I want to hide this fact or hide this. And I'm like, there's no hiding anything. It will come out. Yeah. So you're better off explaining it and really justifying the things that you have. So pair any gaps, any things that you have with your cover letter and own them. You know, yeah. the only thing you don't have an excuse for is if you have a big old gap where you really just did nothing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there, there still may be an excuse for that. You know, you still may have a reason for doing that. You know, it just, you know, right. people's lives and careers, you know, go through lots of different ups and downs. And uh, there always needs to be an explanation. You know, you're going to get similar questions when you go through your interview process. You know, you're going to you know, tell us about a difficult time and how you managed to get through that. What did you learn from that experience kind of stuff? You know, you're, you're going to get those kinds of questions. And, you know, I, I have those already. Like I, I could answer some of them right now because it's just <laughs> stuff that I know is a really good selling point. And, I think one of the, the greatest challenges of my, I guess, early career, right? I, I went to college and, you know, I, I can't remember if I've told this story on the show. This is where we are. This is where we are on the show. I have no idea if I've told the story already. <laughs> but, you know, smart kid, straight A's, didn't have to try in high school and got to college. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to go to class. And that's a mistake. But I was still pretty much doing just fine, missing classes here and there until I did... <laughs> vector geometry and that one got me because like you just you know you miss concepts in math and then you know you're gone and it's no good and so i actually ended up getting an f in that class i got an f and for me it doesn't even make sense like i don't even know how (laughs) it's possible for me to do that but it was a really good lesson for me it was really humbling like you know oh i can't just wing it like i've been doing like i really do have to try to at least show up in class like that's super important (laughs) But it also taught me like how little I cared about math. Like it's not something I wanted to do for my career. I did not want to be an engineer. So it really kind of did a few things, right? I reorganized the way I did college and I changed majors. And so, or didn't even, I picked a major that was more in line with what I wanted to do. And that, mm-hmm. so that's a really, it was a really challenging time. It was a, an absolute failure. I mean, I really did. There is a, <laughs> there is an F in there. You know what I mean? And like, uh, and that's, exactly like my one of the things that really motivated me to be different and i actually got busier and i realized <laughs> i got a job and that actually helped me because i had so only so much time to do what i needed to do and that kind of focused in oh i've got to do this you know and so my last two years in college i was right back where i was so it was a really good experience really humbling but you need stories like that you have to have them 
You and you need to know you have those already. People have those stories. They know those things. They just don't think about it. Right. And how did you explain that on your resume? Well, so it, so it came up like when you're doing like an entry level position, they send you, they ask for your transcript. So you have to send transcripts around for part of the resume thing. And it actually came up in, and they didn't ask me this directly. They just asked me, you know, what was a challenging moment and how did you get through that? Right. Which you think, oh, wow, I'm 20, you know, I'm 25 or 24. I don't have challenging moments. No, you do. You do. <laughs> you just, you know, you just have to think about it for a second. And I actually had that answer. I, I had thought about it and I was like, this is the, this is one of my easy ones. You know, I can do that. That's, that's exactly it. Obviously there's other stories you can tell, but you know, you have those and they're in your back pocket. Even when you're 20, 22, doesn't matter. You got them. And that's my story. And like everybody has challenges in life and some of them are epic. And some of them are, you know, like, Oh, I failed a class. You know, there are worse things than doing that, but everybody has a story to tell. And there is always a way to make that story really presentable to people who are looking for really dedicated professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the last point before we get to our interview here, the resume is not for you to get the job. I just was having this conversation yesterday. The resume is for you to get an interview. Yes. So write the resume to get an interview and then network your butt off and all that other stuff to actually get the job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I totally agree. All right. Let's get that interview. Sounds good. Welcome back to EPR. Today, we have Anthony Wilson. He's currently pursuing a PhD degree at Scripps Institute of Oceanography, and he's also a graduate research assistant there. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So congrats on working on your PhD. That's really awesome. What's your PhD in? Climate science. Awesome. And how much longer do you have? I have quite a bit of time. I just started out, so I'll probably be here for the next five to six years. Okay. Wow. Six years. Wow. Yes. And then, so did you go straight from high school to a PhD? I feel like I'm looking at your LinkedIn and it's like, like you knew that's what you're going to do or something. Yeah. So it was actually kind of a little bit of a curvature path, kind of like a PhD is kind of funny. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) when I, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I was, uh, I was an undergrad and for me, I didn't even really know what a PhD was, if I'm being honest. Um, I know that we had professors and I knew that there was some track to get there, but I didn't know too much about grad schools. So I think I was in my sophomore or my junior year, and I did this program called McNair. And essentially, it's a postdoctoral program that tries to get more underrepresented groups into getting a higher education or advanced degree. Mm-hmm. And I guess ever since then, then I knew I was like, okay, I want to get a PhD. And my end goal was to work in NOAA or work in DC uh, to work with policymakers. And from what I was hearing, everyone was getting a master's. So then mm-hmm. I took the initiative and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get my PhD so I can be ahead of it. <laughs> That's awesome. So how does this work? You go from your bachelor's to a PhD. Are you going back to get a master's later? So it's kind of funny. So at Scripps and a lot of institutions, you technically get your master's. It's like a master's and a PhD. Um, but it's not really talked about. So 
after my first year, I've taken so many classes that I'll technically have my master's. So, okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. And then how, so obviously if you're going to jump right into a PhD, you're pretty sure this is the direction you want to go. How did you discover early on, like what you were into? Yeah, I really kind of started when I was really young. I feel like for me, I knew that I wanted to be in weather or the weather enterprise. It started with an event, Hurricane Katrina, which you guys are probably pretty familiar with. I was probably around five or six when that happened. And when I saw Hurricane Katrina, I could kind of see how it impacted different people differently. In particular, I saw a lot of people that look like me when it came to the risk policy and analysis. And I saw a lot of the Katrina displacement happening in my schools and meeting these people and hearing their stories. So ever since then, I started watching the Water Channel um, (laughs) and instead of watching cartoons. And (laughs) I uh, knew that I kind of wanted to be on this path. At first, I thought it was in broadcast meteorology, but that quickly changed. I wanted to widen my scope uh, and really talk to policymakers because I feel like people that typically look like me aren't at the table. Uh, yeah. So that's why I kind of wanted to take this path. Awesome. Yeah. So what are the things that triggered you wanting to change kind of broadening your impact? Take a class or meet a person? Yeah, I really got into broadcasting. And I don't know if you guys ever have experienced something where you seen something and you tried something and you really was like, this just isn't for me. Yeah, yeah. I got in um, and I got onto our local student news channel and I was working and I was shadowing as a one-air meteorologist. And I remember being on the green screen and this was like a childhood hope of mine for so long. Yeah. And then I was just like, this just doesn't feel natural to me. Um, <laughs> um, respectfully to the meteorologists that are on air, but I just felt that this was a little bit too small of a scope that I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I was being authentic to myself. And so what I really began to find was research was something that I really enjoyed doing. About the same time when I was doing McNair, I got into another scholarship program called SOURCE. And this stands for the Significant Opportunity in Atmospheric Research. And it's basically to broaden the groups that are actually in atmospheric science. And so for me, I feel like that was kind of the changing point for me because there was a point to where I didn't want to do science anymore mm-hmm. uh, because I said, okay, if I'm not into broadcasting, then there's no space for me to be here. And so having this opportunity really kind of changed my career trajectory a lot. That's awesome. How did you learn about that opportunity? I actually took some initiative myself. There's a point to where I, I said, okay, so I, I'm not really enjoying this, but there's a lot more out here. So I literally just started emailing people and I went to a conference and I guess that's, where I got my wings to where I just started talking to people and I ended up running into the source director and a bunch of other people who were involved with the program. 
And lo and behold, then I ended up uh, getting applying and accepted, which is really awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Anthony Wilson, a man yes. of initiative. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Me too. <laughs> I'm going to skip that other question because he has answered already. Okay, good. So, so, so you mentioned policy a couple of times and you want to be involved in policy. And so what about that do you want to focus on? Is there a specific area in particular where you want to see change? Yeah, I'm really interested in how resource management is kind of imposed. I guess for me, I decided to take a more applied and go on the science route so that when I go into a room, I can have the science backing what I'm saying because I can see and observe that our resources aren't being equally managed, but I don't have the science background to completely say that. So that is why I'm getting my PhD Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) in the hopes that uh, when I come into a room and I can say that the impacts are not evenly distributed within our population, because I feel like as a society, the people who are left behind the most is a better reflection of our society than the people who have all the resources. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. And that's very well said and I appreciate that. And uh, so what you're doing at Scripps then um, is really going to help in lots of different ways. Was it hard to get in? Yeah. So for me, I guess I had a very unique path. And I would say like any advice that I have is just reach out. Uh, I um, never really was scared to send an email or talk to someone despite how many papers they publish, uh, how official they are. And I didn't know that that was a skill until I started talking to my other friends and they were just like, you're pretty, you're pretty crazy. So just reach out to anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but that became my greatest uh, strength because I would just reach out to these professors, which also was backed from my experiences in McNair and Source. And I would really just kind of just talk to them and I would kind of build that rapport kind of before grad school happened. And so when it came to applying, I actually didn't know about scripts uh, until um, really closer into the application period. Someone at NOAA, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they told me about this one professor here. And so that's when I decided to apply. And then I ended up somehow talking to my now advisor here through another student that I also reached out to. And he had very great and good experiences. So I was like, okay, I want (laughs) you to be my advisor because he has a rapport of like really standing by equity and Mm. equality within this uh, STEM field. So I had a unique story where I experienced a lot of racism in my undergrad and my advisor really took to that which was really helpful and reassuring to know. And he helped me in some of my deficiencies because of my undergrad, which I feel like is a very unique experience. And I actually was accepted a lot earlier than other applicants, which I think was indicative of like how much they wanted me to feel that I belonged here 
and that I have a lot of potential. Uh, yeah. So obviously you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, that sense of belonging is something that I think like that's one of the reasons we love doing the show. We want people to feel welcomed and belonged. And you don't have to answer the question I'm about to ask. So if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But when you say you, you didn't belong, you did experience racism. Are you okay sharing that with our audience so they can have an idea of what you had to go through to get where you are? Yeah, I feel comfortable at this point. I feel like in my undergrad, I just experienced a very hyper competitive environment. And what comes with hyper competitive environment, especially when you're from a historically marginalized group, I feel like it's easy to outcast those types of people. And so I felt at times that I was trying to become something and see something that I didn't see, which made it very difficult to me. And so for me, when I was reaching out, that was kind of me saying that, yes, I belong here. I might not feel that way or feel that I'm appreciated here in this space, but I'm going to seek out and find where I do belong. Uh, mm. And so through that, I was like able to create in- changes at my institution through like what I experienced there, but also kind of reach back and mentor other students there and my mm. program and abroad. And that's what's been giving me strength to continue on and keep pushing. So, yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah. I mean, Laura, Anthony's pretty incredible. Um, that's, that's a great. Why do you sound so story. surprised? Like, no, I think it's fantastic. I, that's such a great answer. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm blown away. So, well, I really appreciate you sharing that with us because I know it's not always easy, but uh, you have a lot of things going on too. Like, I, I want to hear about the research that you did the past summer at NOAA um, through the Pathways program. And is that related to scripts or is that something different? Yeah. So it's a little bit different. So prior to getting admitted, well, after getting admitted and starting my PhD, I did a Pathways internship at NOAA and Boulder, but it was all remote due to COVID. And so it was really interesting. So there's this big campaign and it's called Mosaic and it is a intergovernmental and international group of scientists working with Arctic data. Uh, and it's a very timely event with how much the Arctic is changing right now. Um, and it was really cool. I got to work with observational data and make it readily accessible to modelers, which is really cool. It is cool. Uh, yeah. uh, it was like an opposite flip of the coin to what I'm doing here at Scripps because what I've learned is there's a beef between modelers and observationalists. <laughs> uh, uh, so it was uh, really cool to kind of like know some of the, where the data is coming from and like how it's processed. So it's more readily usable. And it was cool to actually learn about that in class uh, and say that I kind of got to work with the data. So yeah, that's uh, awesome. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I already know about this guys. I so, like, so that data you're working on, that was like uh, marine heat waves and how they impact the Arctic, right? So there are some the implica- implications of that for our society as a whole, right? Those are going to increase over time. So how is that going to impact us going forward? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the research that I was doing was really looking at sea ice. And I find that really interesting 
kind of the CICE feedback. And that is kind of like the basis of what goes into climate modeling. And so if we have significant changes within our models and our observations as well, then it's going to be harder to track over time. And that has huge ramifications on our weather and climate impacts down the road. So that is kind of what I'm kind of interested in, really, is kind of looking at how heat fluxes, because in the Arctic, we don't technically have heat waves. Heat fluxes from the mid-latitudes impact our wildlife or our fisheries. So there's a lot of fish species that actually depend on this feedback of freshwater melt that happens from sea ice. And there's a lot of communities that depend on these uh, fisheries to even exist. So that is kind of what I'm really interested in to see how this changes within the next couple of decades. Yeah. So I think that means we need to have you back in a few years. That's what <laughs> so it's, uh, maybe sooner. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we love to hear stories about uh, people's work experiences and some fun things that happen. You mentioned that you were in Boulder at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, and they have shuttles that run around getting people to and from work. Uh, you have a story about this, though. What, what's the story there? Yeah. So prior to COVID and my source internship, in my first year, I actually didn't know too much about the shuttle service there. And so there's multiple different labs that atmospheric researchers go to. So there's the Mesa Lab, which is known and is on the top of huge hill overlooking all of Boulder. It's really, really beautiful. And then there's NOAA and then there's Center Green. So these are two different, there are different laboratories within a different space. So within my first week of work, I tried uh, biking. Well, I tried walking actually to the shuttle. And over time, it got a little bit too hot. <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided to end up biking. And it's really nice because uh, UCAR and NCAR, they uh, allow scientists to have like a discounted rate on bikes. But there was one day where I got on the shuttle and I didn't look for what direction it was going. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so I um, got on the shuttle and I noticed that me being directionally aware and being a geographer, I was like, this is going in the opposite direction <laughs> of the lab that I'm supposed to go to. And so um, I got onto the shuttle and I got off. And right before I could actually grab my bike off of the shuttle and oh, when no. I was in the wrong place, the driver drove off. Oh. <laughs> with, oh, no. with my bike and oh, so no. <laughs> uh, so then i just kind of had to like leave it there because i had a meeting to go to <laughs> oh. but um i ended up having uh to call the director and be like could you please get my bike i don't know how to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to contact the shuttle driver <laughs> um so it was nice i ended up getting my bike back but it was a funny story of like you need to check yeah. the directions of where the shuttle's <laughs> going before you just hop on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite part of that, though, is that you being directionally aware and that is yeah. immediately knowing, like, oh, this is terrible. This is not going, <laughs> this is not going yeah. to be my good day. Yeah, um, I, I knew I was going to be an hour late going into work because then you have to catch the shuttle all the way back. Probably, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, my mentors were luckily very supportive <laughs> and, uh, understand. <laughs> yeah which is good yeah we all have we all have days like that so yeah 
Oh gosh. I actually, I got stuck on an elevator like two hours before my thesis and, uh, terrifying, terrifying. <laughs> but I'm like, oh my gosh, they never take hilarious. elevators. I took it that day and I got stuck. <laughs> so I, I feel you. It's, it's stuff like that happens. But, uh, yes. you've also, <laughs> you've also done a lot of volunteering. So what has been your favorite experience with that so far? Yeah. So I really enjoy like giving back. And so one thing that I mindfully try to do is I try to go back to like my old high school because I feel like I just had such a unique path. And I guess because I've been through so much, I feel like someone could really emulate and understand if they don't feel like they feel included in a space. So I I go to my high school, which is uh, majority uh, minority. And I really just speak to students and just kind of talk to them about kind of like my career and like what I kind of went through, but also kind of like some of the issues and different things that you can experience coming up, you know, like imposter syndrome, not feeling like you have all the tools or the skill sets that everyone else has. That's something that I really learned to kind of empower because I felt like throughout this entire experience, I had a lot of imposter syndrome, kind of like a lot of other people. But it's nice to know that you can see someone who is successful and doing really well and know that whatever you see now is not your end goal. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we talk about li- imposter syndrome a lot. Yeah. But yes. I say, you must be listening to the show. That's great. Yes. <laughs> I love the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So I was kind of, that was our next points was, you know, you've already talked about taking the initiative. Uh, just, I love that yeah. you kind of, didn't have an inhibition with asking people for conversations and and not worrying about like status of people. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that a lot of us learn really young, like, oh, you can't talk to them or you, you know, mm-hmm. you're not allowed mm-hmm. to contact them or whatever. So it's awesome that you didn't have that. What other things do you try to impart on them? I mean, just having a role model. Did you have a role model? Like who gave you, because I know one thing with fighting imposter syndrome is just getting someone to tell you you have permission to do a thing. Um, yes. So do you have some like role models who kind of helps you say, I can do this, even if it's going to be difficult? Yeah, I feel like my mom actually gave me a lot of those like original skills. Um, Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing that my mom told me was to always hold your head up high and never look down. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And I really kind of spoke to that where I feel like she was very courageous in her life and giving back and leaving a legacy back. And that's something that I want to do and give back and help other people. So that's awesome. Love that. So is there any other advice that you give to, or so let's say we have a high school student listening, like what would you tell them about? And one thing that specifically comes up is how do I know which direction to go in? So like, what kind of advice do you have for young people and just choosing a path? Yeah. I will just say, be open. There might be an opportunity or something where you think that that's the only direction you can go, but always ask for a second opinion. (laughs) Uh, I learned because what someone's path is can be completely different to what your path is going to be. My path was very unique. I've been all over the country and I thought that I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, and, uh, it turns out that I kind of fell in love with something that 
brought me a lot more happiness. So I guess my advice would be one to never be afraid to ask if you like need help and you're trying to decipher where to go. People are very helpful. So I feel like that is one good parting advice, but also to never question yourself and your confidence. And that's something that I'm also still learning and building. Come into a room and be able to say, like, this is what I want to do. And people will support you along the way. So, yeah, it's a great message. It really is. And like we've seen this time and time again, everybody, like, you know, like you say, you have the status of people, but they're just people. They're people. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I, I've found people who are in those higher statuses love to talk to people, especially younger people about how they got to where they are. And, you know, that's it's, it's really great. That's really what we're trying to do with the podcast, too, is, yeah. is break that yeah. down. That's why we talk to important people about their hobbies and what they do when they're not working, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we are we are almost out of time, and you've been incredible. Oh, so fast. It really did. It was such a good interview. And, um, but we always ask the question, like, what do we miss that you'd like to discuss before you go? Yeah, I, I guess I'll just, like, end out and just say to anyone, like, listening, like, If you're battling or dealing with imposter syndrome, like you belong here, you're at the table, whatever table you're at, and know that whatever you see isn't where you're going to end up because there's a lot in store. It's so good. I almost cursed. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Heck yeah. That's that's so awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, before we let you go, tell the people where they can reach out to you. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. So you can follow me at, at, track anthony or you can email me at a4 wilson at ucsd.edu perfect thanks anthony this was great thanks so much and that's our show thank you so much anthony for joining us today we had a great time with you uh really wishing you lots of success in your career as it moves forward and for everyone else please be sure to check us out each and every friday don't forget to subscribe rate and review see you everybody bye